should mention, I meant to mention just a moment ago that uh, just for your information, the deacons are recording uh, now the entire worship service, uh, not just the sermon. Uh, so, uh, hear God's call to worship. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his mountain, his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. The hymn is uh, actually a psalm. Psalm 76 in your hymnal at 66. Let us worship God. to sing from our hearts. seated, please. And uh, you may do as you've just instructed each other with those words of scripture to do, to own him as your God by casting yourselves upon him now for what we need and what he is so pleased to deliver to us, to grant us by his grace, uh, freshly and anew, the forgiveness of of our sins. Let's seek just that now. First silently and then we'll join together in unison prayer. The prayer in the order of service for our use together.
and God's people together. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another and to the whole communion of saints in heaven and on earth that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed against your holy law by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. We have been deaf to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. We confess to you, Lord, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives. Have mercy on us, O Lord, and forgive our sins through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, praise God for the way this conversation continues, and it's as wonderful today as it was last week and the week before that and the week before that, and for some of you, thousands of Lord's Days before that when God comes to us to tell us again how confident we must be because of how real and certain is the forgiveness of our sin. He reasons with us. Isn't that marvelous? He comes to our level and he paints pictures for us so that our minds can begin to grasp the wonder of this forgiveness. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That would be enough now prepare yourself for the pictures the Lord's going to paint for your soul. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, how far is that? Well, however far it is, So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Praise be to God. My brothers and sisters, give answer. How are you right with God? Only by the true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them, and even though I'm still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. You see, that's the provision. That's how he's able to take your sins and remove them from you as far as the east is from the west, because he has removed your sins from you and placed them on his son, who endured all of their penalty, all of your penalty, On the cross, the rock of ages there for you 
in your place. Make that your confidence and your prayer. Number 500. on our hearts and then on our lips and to the Lord. Sir, of course, my children, hide yourselves in me, in the cleft of the rock that I am for you, your shield, your defender. This is where we are. We are in Christ. And in Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. With this in mind, let's gladly give our tithes and offerings.
to the Lord. What other way is there to bring them to him? Praising Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Please, and take a moment to familiarize ourselves with these prayers we're going to bring to the Lord. Uh, Michaela McPherson, uh, McPherson. I did that in the email too, didn't I? Our old habits are hard to break. Uh, Michaela Cerisi and Bill in our prayers this morning as they uh, continue to experience the ongoing effects of the miscarriage. It uh, appears, and you saw this in the email uh, that went out, I anticipate, but that uh, she has had an ectopic pregnancy, and so they're going to have to um, treat her for this. And um, hopefully what they're going to find out this Thursday is that things have uh, moved in such a way that there'll be no uh, medical intervention needed. So let's pray for uh, Bill and Michaela. Also this week, matter of rejoicing and petition, Evelyn Marie McClure was born, and so let's thank the Lord for that, even as we pray for Samantha uh, and her recovery. From childbirth and expecting mothers in our congregation, Joanna Crick and Abigail Matthews and uh, Laura Ware and our extended family, Justin Ware's wife uh, out in Idaho. Let's pray for uh, these expecting mothers. Our brothers and sisters in Sudan are in our prayers uh, today. They're suffering for Christ's name there. Uh, We love meetings, so we're going to hold one today for the congregation and another on Tuesday for the session. Let's pray for the Lord's uh, blessing and direction and wisdom and most of all his glory to be accomplished in these meetings. Our brother Greg is uh, leaving for Africa today, as a matter of fact, and uh, going to be there um, doing medical missions along with uh, several others, pastors who will be uh, Proclaiming the gospel and, and uh, other folk, too. It's quite a group who are heading to um, Kenya and then Tanzania. So let's pray, as uh, Greg asked us specifically, that the work will be all about showing the love of Christ, that eternal purposes will be served and, and accomplished. I might also pray for, um, for Laurel. Lor- uh, Laurel. And, and the children and the girls uh, in his absence. In fact, we'll be traveling back, I think it's Tuesday, back up to Owensboro, having brought him down to Atlanta. And then uh, also we want to uh, remember Joey and his uh, family, an extended family. Joey's cousin, uh, Ashley Evans, passed away. Uh, when was this? Just a couple days ago. Okay, so let's um, pray for this entire family as they grieve the loss of Ashley, who did profess faith in Christ. Also, this uh, past week, you may have heard the uh, or seen the inauguration service on uh, Friday for our new president. 
And the fresh reminder was, uh, by the way, if you didn't uh, see it or hear it, uh, you might try to pull it up somehow and uh, watch it. It was an absolutely remarkable inauguration service um, filled with scripture and prayer and Jesus' name. Uh, I was uh, blown away. But to one of the most remarkable parts, I thought, was Franklin Graham's reading from Paul's letter to Timothy and uh, the call for praying for our leaders, which we will certainly want to do today. Let's pray for our uh, new president, President Trump, for the 115th Congress, for the work that's going on in Frankfurt. Even as we praise the Lord, I just want to mention briefly to you what's happened in Frankfurt, Kentucky, is absolutely astounding. I mean, for years we've been uh, trying to see basic uh, just laws passed uh, in defense of the unborn, all of them being killed in the House committee. And uh, the Lord has moved things around such that true and faithful and God-glorifying measures are being passed one after another after another through our state capitol these days. So, but let's pray that the Lord would continue to uh, work through our leaders uh, who are his, uh, whom he has placed uh, in authority and through whom he exercises his own. Let's stand together and offer these prayers to the Lord from our hearts and with our bodies and with our amens as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you. Uh, for what we just pray, uh, saying to you, that uh, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to your cross we cling. We praise you that it is by your grace that we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ, not of our own merit. And so we praise you for that reminder. We also come before you with thanksgiving. We thank you for how you've provided the funds for Greg to be able to go and minister in Africa. We just pray that you would go with him. Uh, even today, as he gets on the plane and travels, that you would watch over him, bring him home safely, and that the gospel will be spread through the work that they do, and that lives will be touched and ministered to, and you will bring him back safely to us. We also rejoice in the birth of Evelyn McClare, and thank you for the birth of her, to, and pray for Samantha's recovery, and rejoice in that birth. We also pray for Michaela, that you would comfort her and her recent miscarriage and now some more complications that have resulted. We pray that you would guide the doctors as they uh, give her the medication and she seeks to recover from that fully, that you would comfort her and Bill as well at this time. We also pray for other expecting mothers. We think of Joanna Crick and Abigail Matthews and Laura Ware, and just pray for them that you would uh, guide as they uh, make wise decisions with the babies in their womb and that they would develop well and come to uh, birth at your timing and comfort them, we pray. We also pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Sudan. It's predominantly Muslim, and we pray that as they see great persecution even aerial bombs coming down on some of their churches. We don't experience that. And we just pray that you would comfort those that name the name of Christ, though they be small 
in number there that you would rally around them, encourage them, and protect them from the Muslims and the government forces that would seek to uh, harm your kingdom. And we pray for them. We also pray about our meeting today, our congregational meeting, that uh, as we look back at 2016 and rejoice and then look forward to 2017, that you would lead and guide as we meet today and all that we do there would glorify you. We also pray about our session meeting this Tuesday, that you would uh, be with them and give them wise counsel as they make decisions for the body. We also pray for Joey and his... uh, whole family as they grieve with Ashley, who was just 28 and passed away just a couple days ago. Uh, We thank you that she named the name of Christ, and we pray that you would rally around and uh, bring those that could rally around and encourage their family, and that uh, they would look to you for their hope at this time. We pray, want to lastly remember to pray for our leaders. We thank you for Uh, leading and guiding in all their lives and that it's in your hand every decision from the local level up to the president we rejoice for the recent uh, proclaiming of the gospel through uh, ones like franklin graham where your name was praised and glorified through the reading of your word which doesn't change no matter who reads it it's still your word and we pray that you would uh, just work through our president our leaders in Congress, down to the local level, that your name would be glorified and decisions would be made that would glorify you and further your kingdom. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's be seated, please. Back to 1 Corinthians 13. By the time we're finished with 1 Corinthians 13, you'll be able to just hold your Bible and it will fall open to 1 Corinthians 13 out of habit. If it helps, it's 959, page 959 in your pew Bibles. Love is not rude. 1 Corinthians 13. I'll give you just a minute. I hear rustling pages so you can find it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And uh, just as uh, Deacon Thomas just prayed, we thank you that it is your word, unchanging. And because it is your word, it also carries your power. You powerfully use it and send it to accomplish all that you intend. So may it do, may your spirit do a great work in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love is not rude. Seems simple enough. A little too simple, actually. A bit below, you know, the kind of, uh, of love we've been hearing about, this great and high love these past several weeks, maybe. A bit pedestrian, don't you think? Love is not rude. I mean, didn't your mother tell you? In the churchyard, when you belched in front of her friends there, not to be rude. When you slurped your soup in the restaurant, burping and slurping, don't be rude, was the command, the counsel you received. And now God's inspired word delivered by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, who was not given to wasting a single word in his jam-packed, densely written missives, says love is not rude. Or remembering as we do that, that these are all verbs here in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, in essence, love does not do rude. Could it be that he means something deeper, something you know, more meaningful than what the English word rude uh, might convey? We could check the Greek dictionary. And in so doing, we find that it says things like to behave disgracefully, dishonorably, indecently. We can go to the scholars and William Barclay translates this verse. Love does not behave gracelessly. But what is that? A bunch of fancy words and fancy ways to say rude. The Corinthians, they had rude down to an art. In the course of our study so far, we've seen them acting rudely at the love feast, eating their food before the people who had none had even arrived, pigging out at a love feast. At the Lord's Supper, they're getting slammed, drunk on the wine. And the tongue speakers, we will see, were pushing for prominence, trying to outshout the next guy for recognition of his gifts or hers. Rude, rude, rude. But our fathers and mothers in Corinth had no special corner on rude. We're living in a grossly rude 
culture and society today, and those who have lived long enough will tell you from experience that uh, it's ruder today, more rude today than it was even a few decades ago. Meryl Marco recently pointed out in, in, World, in Wall Street Journal that we're living in what she, she called a renaissance of rudeness. We're supposedly the you know, advanced and sophisticated society, but haven't we been treated over this past year to one long stream of ugly rudeness splashing across our newspapers and our television screens. Technology is not helping us. Maybe you remember reading about Lacacia Beard of Tigard, Oregon. As if it is not hard enough to sleep on an overnight journey, one group of unlucky passengers shared an Amtrak coach uh, car- a carriage with uh, Lacacia who talked loudly on her mobile phone for 16 hours from 10 p.m. Saturday night to 2 p.m. Sunday afternoon. Finally, the train at one of its stops waited so that she could be arrested and charged with disorderly conduct after police were called by Amtrak staff Following continued complaints from the passengers, police said the 39-year-old became aggressive and was involved in a verbal altercation when asked to be quiet during the journey from Oakland, California to Salem, Oregon. Fellow travelers say that she refused to put the phone down even after staff made requested announcements for passengers not to use mobile phones. And as she later Uh, told Portland's KATU News that she felt disrespected by the incident. Later attempts by another news agency to contact Ms. Beard uh, for comment were unsuccessful. We probably understand why she was on the phone. Uh, What about us modern Christians? Are we any better? Surely we're better. I hope we're better. I'd like to think so. But too often we hear about ourselves from the world in ways that far too closely resemble the reflection of one server's interaction with a group of Christians at the restaurant where she waits table. For me, she writes, what made the experience so bad wasn't just the rude behavior from these adult women or the cheapness of stiffing me on the tip, or the sneakiness of leaving fake money on the table, or the assumption that I was beneath them because I didn't discuss my beliefs with them, or any of the other things that added up into that experience. What really got me was that I was in a place that very day where I was considering going to church. A friend of mine had just committed suicide, And that very church had been recommended to me for grief counseling. I never went. I worked through it on my own. But the point is, those rude, presumptuous, and honestly mean women were the only thing standing between me 
and the church that it was so important to them that I attend. Now on Sunday mornings, I sleep in, and that works nicely for me. I hope that hers is only the tiny exception to the rule that Christians are not rude, that Christians are actually the most pleasant, the most affable, the most caring, the most strikingly considerate and polite and well-mannered people in the world to all people, believers and unbelievers alike. We should be. We must be. Our master was and is. Remember when we were making our way through the Gospel of Luke many moons ago? Remember the day that Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner in Luke chapter 7? He went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at table as they were, uh, uh, as was their tradition and their practice. And a woman of the city, we have little doubt that she was a prostitute. Luke describes her simply as a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought with her an alabaster alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet and weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and then wiped them with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment that she had brought. You remember that touching scene and beautiful. She's weeping. She's washing Jesus' feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, anointing them. And the Pharisee, he starts to boil inside. If this, he's thinking to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. Simon, says Jesus, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. Not a very good start. Not a very good start for Simon. His thoughts are saying one thing about Jesus, this this man. His words another. Oh, do tell, teacher. In a word, he's a hypocrite through and through. And he's he's about to be schooled, though, isn't he? By this one he's called teacher. So hypocritically. Jesus replies to Simon's rude thoughts with this. A certain money lender had two debtors. He owed 500 denarii, and uh, one owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answers, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Bingo, that's not what Jesus said, but that's what he meant. You, you got it right. You answered correctly. You judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, trying to imagine the scene now. It's a wonderful scene. He's turned toward the woman. He's looking at the woman and says to Simon, isn't that beautiful? He's looking at the woman and he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? 
I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time she came in, she's not ceased time I came in. She's not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my oil with head, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Still looking right at her, I imagine. Never took his eyes, his tender and loving eyes, yet so masculine and strong. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. The rest of those people wouldn't have given this woman the time of day on their way home from church on the Sabbath. And while they grumble, he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Where the religious people, where they were, they were all rudeness and scorn and arrogance, especially to one such as this, Jesus was all kindness and respectfulness. There was not a word of condescension, was there? Not a single condescending word, only gracious respectful. He's our master and he's our example in every way. Love is not rude. Now, how to put it positively. The 19th century theologian in Princeton, President Charles Hodge, summarized this biblical condemnation of rudeness well. He wrote, love doth not behave itself unseemly. It does nothing of which one ought to be ashamed. But then he switches to the positive and he says, its whole deportment is decorous And becoming. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase, sums it up nicely this way. He says, love has good manners. Love has good manners. Manners matter to Christians. They do. Love has good manners. Now, you know what manners are. The proper way of behaving in a variety of situations, at table, in a conversation, walking on the street, any situ- virtually any situation you can think of. Of course, good manners by themselves are not true holiness. You can find plenty of well-mannered heathens. What is more, I'm certainly prepared to admit that good manners change over time and from place to place. Though I do find it interesting that there is a somewhat constant definition and understanding of proper behavior is seen against the background of that coarseness that invaded the world along with sin and has continued to mark and mar her ever since. One need not read a whole lot about the life of uh, people in medieval Europe to see how dismally they behaved toward one another. One manual of manners instructed people not to break wind while sitting at the table, not to spit on the floor, not to pick their noses, not to look for lice in their hair, and men were not to fondle the breasts of the women sitting next to them at table. Sounds pretty bad. But... uh, How far, I ask you, is modern America 
from that. I could give you some examples that might tend to show we're even worse. And how much closer are we not getting to that every day? In such darkness, we Christians ought to be shining like lights, as Paul says in the world. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Good manners. Good manners are a part of biblical holiness. They are. The kind of behavior that God expects from his children. And as with all our behavior, God is never satisfied if we have a good attitude toward others, but don't express that love, that consideration, that respect in our behavior and our actions. The Bible makes that perfectly clear. I can give you this example for one. In Leviticus 19, verse 32, we read this. Rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. Now, what is that but good manners? It is respect inward and love outward expressing itself. It is love not being rude, but practicing good manners. It's what God is after. Attitude and action. Love is both. It must, it requires both. Attitude and action are the legs on which love runs and jumps and stands. Weaken one and the other is weakened too. Strengthen one and the other is strengthened with it. Think about the way that this is illustrated in the attitudes and the actions of men these days toward women. A very good gauge, by the way, of any society's place on the spectrum of Christian love and manners, how the women of that culture are treated by the men. A few days ago, I was parked on the road here at uh, Menards, thinking about all of this of an evening. It was dark, and out of the store came three people, a man and his son and his daughter. They, in their teens. First the father, then the son arrives at the car. Father gets in, closes the door. Son gets in, closes the door. And both of them are closed in. And last comes the girl, daughter to one, sister to the other. Now, I grant you, she's been uh, trailing along, twirling her hair with one hand and the other occupied by a cell phone on which her eyes have remained glued uh, with every step, somewhat challenged in the multitasking of walking while smacking gum in her mouth with a motion reminiscent of the ruminants uh, they had passed in the fields on their way to the store. But um, either man, neither man, even thinks to open the door for her. Not even a thought, not even a pause. It would never dawn on them. Much less does it occur to men today to stand when a woman enters the room or or walk on the street side of the sidewalk when walking with a woman. Those practices seem hopelessly out of date and even offensive anymore for reasons that uh, we moderns might name. The recognition that such practices might actually uh, hint at the fundamental difference between men and women or the implication 
the whisper of an implication that uh, women are in any way dependent upon men. So we've banished these practices. But of course, this has been to the harm, to the misfortune, and to, don't doubt this, to the degrading of our men and of our women. Courtesies like these taught early to boys that it is taught them that it is unmanly to mistreat a woman, to be boorish around her, to make her uncomfortable. When true masculinity was measured by how it treated women and respectfully cared for them, the world was a better place for both sexes. But it is no mere coincidence that the objectification of women and manners toward women disappeared together and have been warped together. And we're, we're getting to see the results now of such a society. In fact, we see it every day at the CareNet Pregnancy Center. How different the good manners exercised by Christian men out of love and respect for women. I remember at our denomination's General Assembly years ago talking with an elder a friend of mine about the marriage counseling he and his wife had received from their pastor. And just as he was going to tell me something humorous that their pastor had told them both in one of their uh, particular meetings, this elder's wife walked up to us and he abruptly stopped right in his tracks. Well, what did he say to you? I asked. Uh, no. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing, he said. What did he say? I pressed. I'll tell you later. He demurred. And there I was standing with egg on my face, but taught a very good lesson. He wasn't going to say anything inappropriate or dirty to me in her absence, but there are some things that you just don't say in the presence of your wife or of a woman in general because good manners prohibit it. Boys, boys, do I have your attention? Stick with me. Boys, coarse joking is always, always against God's law, no matter with whom you're talking. But there are some things that are even lawful for you to say to your male friends in their company that you would never, ever say around girls or women because because you are a follower of Christ. Love forbids that you embarrass a woman or that you make her feel uncomfortable are awkward in conversation. You got that, boys? Love always concerns itself with others. With how this action or this word or that or that phrase is going to affect them when it lands on their ears and hearts or sight. And they do, by the way. They really do. I remember 
But I know this person that, I, that I'm thinking of uh, remembers even better the day he put his hand out to one of our former members right out there in the narthex, put out his hand, and our member, no longer here, looked down at his hand, grunted, and walked away. You won't be surprised that man has not darkened the door of this church again. He and his wife are still friends of mine, but you won't see him in here. So let me ask you what I promised I would, or rather, let's ask ourselves together, as Christ Presbyterian Church, are we rude? Are we more like that Pharisee uh, to the world than Jesus? And how do we treat our fellow Christians, not only in this church, but in other churches, with whom we may even have very great disagreements How do you treat your brothers and sisters here? You know, if if you disagree with them or if they have hurt your feelings, uh, you avoid them, you refuse to talk, you walk on the other side of the room, you walk past them, look down at the floor, refusing to talk to them. That's rude. That is just plain rude. And it is in total violation, absolute violation of God's holy word. Of his commandments to love. Love is not rude. Love practices good manners. Parents, I plead with you, teach your children early, but explain to them. They've got to know why. Not just what, but why it is they should practice good manners. Teach them that uh, masticating with their mouths open is a Rude, But why is it rude? And why should they leave off texting and tweeting at the table and in conversation? Explain to them why Christians don't reach across the platter as it's passed for the biggest piece of meat, but they always return what they've borrowed in better shape than they got it in the first place. Tell your boys why they must open the door for their mother and hold it for their sister, even as you gentlemen set the example. Teach them phone manners. Oh, please, please teach them phone manners. (laughs) Please teach them how to talk on the phone, how to greet each other at the beginning of a conversation. Help them to understand why it is that no one at the intersection over here by CVS should have to endure the sound of their boom, boom, boom bass three cars over. And why their chattering and giggling and, and whispering is, is so rude at the theater and at the concert. And the message that such behavior so clearly sends to the people in the row in front of them or behind them. Let me tell you what a thrill and refreshment I had uh, when I visited one of your homes just this past week, just a few days ago. Was greeted by your children at the door saying to me, not hey, or grunting as they walk by, as uh, some of your children do with me, but rather saying, hello, Pastor John. And when I asked them a question, yes, sir. This is more than southern tradition 
This is Christian tradition. Now, I can say it even more strongly than that. This is Christian law. This is Christian obedience. It's the practical outworking of love. It's just love with hands and feet. So I urge you, therefore, to practice good manners, to build them into your life and into your children's lives as a way of living this others-centered life. The life Christ calls us to live of even in the small things, showing deep regard for others, putting them before and above yourself because, because love is not rude. Amen. Think for a moment of all the things that the Lord Jesus had to endure for us and for our salvation. Of the suffering in its many, many different forms. Who suffered more rudeness? the most rude of behavior ever than our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to sing it, in fact, in just a moment as the bread is distributed. But why did he suffer the terrible rudeness on the cross and even throughout his whole life? Because of our rudeness. Because our rudeness required forgiveness. And if he died for our rudeness... Among all the rest of our sins, how much more will we want to love in good manners? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for the sacrifice that has been made for us and for our sin. And that though we are so rude in our behavior toward others, yet you remain so patient and so kind with us. Even as we come to this table, Father, the the sinfulness of our hearts wants to rise up. So, Father, we pray that even as you seal your covenant with us, you may help us, you will help us, not only here but in the days to come, to break off another piece of rudeness and put good manners, love, in its place by that same grace. And we thank you. We thank and praise you, Father, for such love as is lavished upon us every second, every day of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last their servers, please to come forward at this time, and as the bread is being distributed, we'll sing Man of Sorrows. What a name. Hallelujah, what a 
and in remembrance of him and obedience to him that we do this. On the very night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and after having given thanks, as we've done in his name, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. like manner after the supper he takes the cup saying this cup is my blood of the covenant which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sin do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me the apostle Paul adds it as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup we do proclaim the Lord's death until he come and until he come may not only every thought of our hearts, but the words that come out of our mouths and the doings, even to the smallest of deeds, be all for Jesus. Let's sing it. Let's stand to sing. Since my eyes were fixed. 
fixed on Jesus, I've lost sight of all beside. So enchain my spirit's vision, looking at the crucified. Oh, what wonder, how amazing, Jesus, glorious King of kings, deigns to call me. the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.